Welcome back to Church Unscripted. We are so glad you joined us this week. As always, we hope that this podcast brings value to you and your home and your family. And if it does, we make a simple request. Would you please subscribe to this channel? Also share it with your friends so they can be exposed to this as well. And then hit the notification bell so that whenever new content shows up, you can be uh, notified about it as soon as it does. And so again, we're glad that you are here. Well, we are with Pastor John and Pastor David again, and uh, we're going to talk about what he preached about this last Sunday as he wrapped up our vision series uh, through the course of August. And so great message, John. I appreciate that. And so would you take a f- couple of minutes and give us something of a summary of, of what you talked about? Yeah, I was in, in the end of Luke uh, chapter 10. So we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan and then uh, talked about Mary and Martha. Martha, if you remember that part of the story, was very busy mm-hmm. and was asking, why isn't Mary helping me get my house ready for Jesus? And Jesus said, well, Mary's got the good portion, you know, don't take that from her. Essentially the eternal significance of that and being present with Jesus. And in the the parable of the Good Samaritan, what I did on Sunday was I didn't just read the verses. I actually kind of uh, brought the parable to contemporary day, which tends to be a little bit more offensive to us, I think, um, because when you look at it in terms of our walk, it's, well, the pastor walked by the great Good Samaritan uh, or by the man on the side of the road. And then guess what? The elder walked by and then who helped him? The immigrant from Palestine. So I think um, there was a lot of things we could learn from that. And so really the summary of it is really, um, Jesus centered presence is inconvenient. It's not it when we want it to be. Yeah. Um, it's others focused. So it's not focused on our concerns, but the concerns of others. Um, there's sacrifice, there's humility, there's compassion. Mm. All those things seem very biblical, but when you actually walk it out and live it out, it's very complicated. One of the things I said at the end though, I talked about some myths we have, and maybe we'll discuss that a little bit. Like when things settle down, I'll be able to blank. And in this case, I was saying, have a Jesus center presence, or, or maybe it was more will be enough. If I get this or this promotion, maybe, or something else, then I'll be able to have a Jesus center presence. Mm-hmm. And then the one that I think is the most, I use the word insidious on Sunday is the one that says, everyone lives like this. Well, no, they don't. And so, um, that's what we talked about. And really, I mean, we summarized it with some things we were, we were just discussing this. I think, that Jesus-centered presence greets inconvenience with joy. And I always, I wanted to take the joy out of there. We were just talking about how biblical that is, but how hard that is. And I think that's, that's one thing that's very hard, but also there's barriers to that. So I kind of sandwiched things. At the beginning of the sermon, I showed some pictures. And um, those of you that were here with us, um, it was people and they took the phones out of the picture. So people were looking at their phones rather than each other and they weren't being present with each other. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting visual for sure. <laughs> and being, being very convicted about that myself, yeah. I realized that that would be convicting for most of us. And so we really need to eliminate barriers to connection between each other. And so that, that was kind of, that's the uh, two minute version maybe. So something like that. Yeah, no, that that's a really good um, uh, summary of that. That's same thing I heard on Sunday, and so I'm glad that we're on the same page there. I do have, you know, some questions about this, and I really liked your uh, study on Mary and Martha, and we'll get to the Good Samaritan and everything and those myths too. But uh, I really liked how you didn't condemn Martha. Um, because there's a lot of people in the world, uh, well, especially when we read scripture, it's mm. easy to start to see Martha as a villain and, yeah. and Mary as a hero. I mean, she's the one that spent time with Jesus and Martha was the one that was so busy ignoring Jesus. And mm. I think it's easy to get there. And I don't think that's the point of, of the passage. What I think you did is I think you recognize that some of us, uh, not everyone, but some of us are designed and wired to be more hospitable, mm. 
um, in the sense that when you know you're having guests over, you're going to clean up. <laughs> yes, of course. And if you're anything like my wife, and if I understand your wives a little bit, it's not like you want to have a dirty house when you have guests over, especially if it's Jesus, right? <laughs> and so uh, there is this. I mean, I've never of, had Jesus over though. Like, <laughs> <in my house. laughs> well, that's that's a debate. But you know, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's of course, if you have guests over, you want to provide them a meal. You want to give them a hospitable environment. And so the reality is, some of us simply have a harder time than others. Uh, prioritizing time with Jesus in the midst of all that busyness. And so I appreciated how you didn't say um, that Martha was a villain. What you did suggest though, is that even if you are something of a busybody, which is not always healthy, but that's just our personality sometimes. It's how do you prioritize spending time with Jesus over the busyness of life? But you could also apply that to Mary too. I mean, if Martha is too busy, then Mary's lazy. I mean, Mary was doing nothing, right? And so yeah. you also have somebody who says, I'm spending all my time with Jesus, but yet, dude, you got wor- you got some work to do. Get to work, you know? So it's, it feels like it's a prioritization plan of regardless of my personality, how do I prioritize time with Jesus? Mm. Well, and, and Sunday, if you noticed, I asked people to raise their hands, okay? Yeah. And so as they raised their hands, what was ironic is everyone thought Martha was the villain because yeah. you notice how many hands went up saying that they were Mary, a few yeah, people, my hand everyone's, like, everyone's like, right. oh, I'm Martha. And Did I, you expect that, by the way? I fully expected it. Okay. I fully expected it because when I read this passage, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot more people identify with Martha because they think of like Jesus coming almost like a king. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so if he's in my house, I'm going to prepare a way for him. Yeah. The interesting thing is both Mary and Martha were preparing a way for him. Mm-hmm. Right. They were just doing it in their own different way. And I think sometimes we forget about that. So um, I've learned in my life that uh, me specifically as a human being, I always have to have something. What's next? What am I doing mm-hmm. next? I'm like moving forward. And the problem is I think sometimes to have a Jesus-centered presence, we have to pause and be inconvenienced. I think that Martha's problem was she was being inconvenienced. Yeah. That if, Mar- if Mary's helping me, then this will go so much faster and then I'll get time with Jesus. Mm. So I mean, it's, it could have been positive. So you're, you're not suggesting that the inconvenience is a constant reality, but there are times where, well, I, I would mention his name, but he's had something of a moral failure. But one of my favorite pastors prior to his failure wrote a book and I loved it. And he talked about this thing called holy interruptions, right? And this yeah. is the same concept as your inconvenience. Um, so how often do these holy inconveniences happen? David, I, I'll let I, you I mean, start, man. <laughs> I, I think they're there more than we notice. Um, Do you have some examples? Yeah. I mean, I think of like, I guess uh, a lot of times, like I think of like a traffic jam. Like a lot of times we get frustrated and impatient. And what if we just took that time to just breathe and recognize his presence with us mm-hmm. and then we're not frustrated with people cutting us off or whatever that is and and doing that or um i even think of like um how we take a, a jesus uh, centered presence and then apply that to our neighbors you talked about neighbors on sunday mm-hmm. um just yesterday i i uh, took my trash out and the neighbor that i can't ever get to talk to me was out in his yard and I've got one of those names. And I was, and I <laughs> yeah. was, and what I was it like, go inside with yeah, him. Yeah, like, right? It's like, yeah, but he, he like lingered out there. And so 
uh, part of me was like, I don't want to talk to him. He he never talks to me. I wave to him. He doesn't wave back, yeah. you know. But I was like, ah, I'm just going to say hello, you know, like it's a little thing. But then it, we had a short conversation and he kind of hurried off like he normally does. But I think I recognized in that moment, like, that's like that's the kind of stuff that we miss. We're like when we're with Jesus, when we recognize that his presence then changes how we interact with other people, um, then we see those things all throughout our day. But, so it's, it's almost like these are, are God's interruptions into your normal routine and schedule to invite you into something you can't get in your normal routine and well, schedule. And yeah. I, and I okay. said at one point on, on Sunday, I think it's important is the most important ministry moments for me yeah. come in the margins. They don't yeah. come in some planned space. Yeah. Um, I think that's true of all of us. So I, I would say to that, Eric, is that maybe some of us need to start praying to have those moments sure. or, or, or maybe even be aware of them. I have guess that's eyes I, to see him. Yeah, eyes yeah. to see him because I think we all have those moments. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone that God says, well, I'm not going to give you that inconvenient moment. Right, right. I think those moments we just don't um, recognize sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been in the grocery store and I watch and I see, and I do this, this is like something weird I do sometimes. I just watch how many people are looking down at their phone and like not even looking up while they're going through Walmart or Meyer or something and they're pushing their cart, but they're like on their phone. Yeah. They're not even paying attention. And I think there's moments where we choose to disconnect um, when we're exhausted emotionally, yeah. physically or whatever. And those are actually the moments that God's using to grow us the most. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes we need to take a step back and realize, okay, I need to recalibrate my brain right now or right. do something. Um, also, I think, sometimes we push ourselves too hard. Like one of the things about Martha is she kind of lashes out at Mary. I mean, doesn't she? And she goes to Jesus thinking Jesus is going to be on her side, right? right? Yeah. She wouldn't even said that if she didn't think Jesus is going to be like, yeah, Mary, come on, you know? And so <laughs> right. the, the problem in that moment mm-hmm. is um, she was deceived that her being super busy was the only way and the only thing to do. And I think sometimes there's a completely different way. Like, I'm realizing I have four kids and if they all play sports, I'm never going to be home in the evening. Like again, for the next like 10 years. Right. right? Yeah. And so, but I can choose Mm. to give my kids opportunities, but then still spend time with them, spend time with other families or invite people into our home. So, I mean, it's really, really when people say, Oh, I don't have a choice. Mm. I just sit there and I'm like, well, you kind of do. Yeah. It's just a matter of how you choose to live your life. That's, that's the difference. If everyone's living this way. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I I love in the Gospels how uh, you see Jesus in almost every scenario where he uh, heals somebody or he um, does a miracle or something like that. He's always on his way somewhere. And so like it it almost seems like Jesus was constantly interrupted um, throughout his time as he was walking to places. Um, and he took those interruptions, mm-hmm. handled them with grace because right. he's Jesus, That's of right. course. But he's um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but he handled them with grace. But then, on the contrast, he also had times when he went away, Absolutely. to be with the Father. And so, I love that, like in Jesus, like we talk about Jesus-centered presence. Like in Jesus, we experience both the ability to be on our way to something and be. Uh, inconvenienced mm-hmm. and handle it with grace, but then also have I'll, time yeah. to, to retreat. I love that because now that you mentioned that, I'm thinking through the gospel miracles and most of the 
impactful miracles we see happened in an inconvenient. Jesus was sleeping on the boat and a storm right. showed up and right. he had to be woken up yeah. to calm the storm. Yeah. And he's like, uh, what are you guys doing? I mean, Peter, <laughs> Peter and John and Acts, they were on their way up to the temple. Yeah. And then some of the guys said, hey, give me some money. He says, silver, gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Walk. Right. And it feels like God's waiting for your ability to respond to the inconvenience yeah. before he brings some kind of miraculous yeah. power in. Yes. So Does that I, make sense? I, I have a question. So do you think that our American culture, because of how strictly we run on calendars and time slots and time in, in general, do you think that's a big hindrance to us living in inconvenienced lives? Is that, am I asking hundred percent? Absolutely. And okay. let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, I believe that Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 are real people uh, with two different distinct personalities. However, um, I just want to throw this out to you guys. I, I think they can also represent something of two different alter egos that live in each one of us. Something of like a Martha's on one shoulder and Mary's on the other shoulder, right? <laughs> and so I have never had somebody come up to me and, and say, hey, you're, you're spending too much time reading the Bible. You should go do something else, you know? Um, it, the battle is, is really more internal. Mm -hmm. And so it's a fight for me to gravitate towards the Martha nature in me where I'm like, I've got so much to do. I don't have time for the inconvenience compared yeah. to the Holy Spirit, perhaps drawing me to the Mary ego inside of me, which says, but you know, you need to engage with this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if there's, it's more of an internal struggle, um, as opposed to something outside of ourselves. I don't know, what do you well, think? I, and I, I, think, I think it's it's the balance of the culture of the world. Like we want to achieve, we want, we get our, gain our identity from what we achieve. And it's hard to struggle with the fact that we have free grace, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the Mary side. Mm -hmm. Like she's yeah. sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't think she really cared about what they were going to eat. Right. I don't think she cared about how the house looked. She was just like, Jesus is here, right? Yeah. And I think on the other hand, um, Martha was like, well, I'm going to serve him, right? And that's where like Martha's really not the villain. It's just a different way of looking at it. And I think when those things are out of balance is when you do have those struggles. And so when you're living by the Holy Spirit guiding us, mm -hmm. then that's when you're like, okay, today is a day that's going to be inconvenienced. I'm going to feel like I got nothing accomplished. Right. But then, right. then at the end of the day, yep. I'm going to remember, hey, I had that conversation with my neighbor that never talks to me. Right. And that was the whole purpose of my day. Um, I think of recently... Um, I had uh, a tremendous pain on a Sunday. You guys know the story. I'm not going to give details, but in the long story short is I ended up at the hospital. I uh, was talking with someone that was providing uh, uh, medical advice or whatever. And Called the doctor, right? It was not the doctor oh. that I witnessed to. I okay. witnessed to someone. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I witnessed to someone. So it was like praying with her, talking with her. And then I'm thinking in my head, like, was this the only reason I was brought to this hospital? On a Sunday morning, I might yeah. add. I was here in the church yeah. building. I had to leave. I was in so much pain. Um, I go home. The doctor's like, hey, this is going to heal because they had to cut me open, right? And he's like, this is going to heal. It's going to take a few weeks. And like in two days, there was no scar. And I'm like, I was only there to talk to this woman and pray with her and encourage That's her. That's awesome. And so I think those moments are the yeah. moments that we should long for. Hmm. That day, I did not want pain. I was feeling incredibly inconvenienced. I was ticked off. Yeah. I like got home and I was exhausted. And then I'm like, oh, I got to start Monday morning, a bit yeah. fresh, you know? Yeah. All those things were happening in my heart and my soul. And right. I think I think maybe, Eric, what you're, what you're tying into is that, that our culture says inconvenience is bad. Right. Convenience right. is good. And 
I think it's pretty clear even from these passages, but I mean, Jesus in general, that inconvenience is good mm-hmm. in God's eyes um, and that it's something that we should uh, maybe look forward to. I mean, can I say that much? I mean, yeah. you look you look at the Gospel of Mark. If you notice in Gospel of Mark, Mark always says when Jesus does something, he goes from one scene to the next scene and he says immediately. He's kind of rushed, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I always think Mark is like <clears throat> the most American gospel, you know, because it's just kind of like quick. Like right. immediately Jesus did this, immediately yeah. Jesus did this. But the funny thing is what you guys both already mentioned is Mark still records the inconvenience in those moments, even mm-hmm. though he's rushing through things. Yeah. I mean, this, this is the ultimate um, motivation for our salvation, isn't it? I mean, Jesus was on the throne in heaven. He didn't have to come down and yeah. become a human like us. He didn't have to step into our world, but mm-hmm. he inconvenienced himself and made himself. I mean, Hebrews talks about this. I mean, take on the attitude of Christ, right? Yes. Who being made in the image of God did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but instead he became like us, yeah. even to death on a cross. And so, I mean, he is the ultimate picture of of engaging in an inconvenience. Yeah. Uh, now you could say that he's the one who created the inconvenience, mm. but nonetheless he stepped into it, mm. and and that yeah. and because of that we're saved. Yeah. So I got more questions. Oh, I figured you did. I don't. Even, I don't even know if we've asked a question. We kind of asked a question. You asked kinda, a question back. And kinda, I don't yeah, know. We, we, I'm going to throw a question back to you. You brought up the whole, you know, the cultural Americanized yeah, yeah, system, yeah, yeah. and yep. I want to throw a question back to you related yep. to that. So. Um, you, you brought up the, the story of the Good Samaritan and how uh, this guy was beat to death, uh, half to death, right? Lying on the ground, probably naked. Yeah. Um, bloodied, maybe even unconscious. And several people go by, religious people, the priests, you analogized it to the pastor and the elder walked by. Maybe it's because we were so busy creating a sermon for Sunday. Sorry, we didn't have time to stop and help somebody. Mm. And the other was like, I, get, I get it to board meeting. I'm busy. We got a big agenda tonight. And then the Palestinian immigrant came and helped him out. And that was the more righteous um, of the three, in a sense. I have tried to apply the Good Samaritan ethic to my life. And so when I have seen people in need, if I have the opportunity and the means to do that, I mean, I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but I feel like I've tried to do that. No. And listen, I will brag on my truck all day long, okay? <laughs> I love my truck. So especially in winter, when it's like a snowy, icy day and there's some cars stuck in the, in the ditch, I'm like, yes, I love it. <laughs> so I get my tow strap out, I hook it on, I pull them out and my truck is the hero. It's fantastic. So that's good. However, I, there seems to be more often than not um, where I will pull up to somebody who is perhaps broken down on the side of the road and say, hey, do you need help? Most of the time response is thank you, but no, thank you. Mm -hmm. It's I'm on the phone. Somebody's coming to help me out or no, I've got a tow truck coming or thanks, but I'll get this fixed. And here's my question. Why is it that, that when the church attempts to be the good Samaritan, the general response in our culture is thank you, but no, thank you. Maybe uh, can answer that first. Is that what you're that, yeah, what, that's yeah. a that's a really good question. The first thing that comes to mind is I feel like there's just a general absence of trust in our culture, and so like why why would they well like I mean, I'm going like, to come and rob them or well something, right or? because how many stories do you see of somebody being stopped on the side of the road but they're not actually in need of help but they're just there to do something terrible or all of these things and so I think 
what happens is there's like two sides to that where it's like, okay, I'm pulling up on a car and I say, I'm like, okay, do I actually want to ask them if they need help? Is there a threat here? Like what's going on? Or maybe they see you as a threat. they see you as a threat because they're isolated on the side of the road. There's just a general absence of trust. And so I, I feel like that's been really kind of ramped up in the last decade probably because I remember many times as a kid pulling over on the side of the road with my dad just hey you need help like oh you need to change a tire yeah we like we'd love to help you yeah i don't i don't and and also now we have more access yeah and so like before like you're you're stuck on the side of the road you may not have a phone so Mm -hmm. anyone that stops by is immediately helping you now you have access to your anybody you can call and get your help and so it's almost like a um we've kind of developed our own dependence on our on our individual communities that like it's harder to i think our culture become far more self-sufficient right yeah, like there's, i'm there's gonna call my dad i'm not yeah. gonna call you know like whatever so i think that probably plays into it a lot um in that specific like scenario I, yeah I, I think in some ways think of i almost think of it as an embarrassment of riches we have we have a lot of people that don't think they have need and when you don't think you have need Wow. You're unwilling to receive help. Yeah. Um, there's also a sense of humility with receiving help. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was going to say that that's a little bit of a pivot I would take. There's some personalities that you're just like, I'm not going to have someone help me. I just called AAA or I called my insurance. Mm-hmm. Why would I even? And, you know, I, I've offered to just stay and wait until <clears throat> someone comes just in case mm-hmm. they're okay or whatever. Um, I, think, I think in some ways uh, we have so much that most people that genuinely need help, we don't see as Christians because we've isolated ourselves from some of those needs. I mean, maybe that's me just being, Mm -hmm. again, cynical, like I mentioned on Sunday, but I think there's a lot of spaces and places that there are needs, um, but we don't always know about them because we have to seek them out at this point. You know, like someone's on the side of the road. I I mentioned this on Sunday, like how often is that going to happen? You you were talking about in the winter. Yeah, it probably does happen more frequently, Mm -hmm. but... Um, I can think of most of the times when I've seen someone in need, I had to go seek out the need to help that person. And so I had to put some effort into it, which again is a different perspective yeah. on it. Um, but you mentioned like calling a family member or calling yeah. something like that. Um, I I think we we discount the fact that we have so much and we meaning our culture. Um, you know, I many times I've walked into a home of someone that um, can't work or is on disability or something like that. They still have a big screen TV. They still have food on the table. I'm not saying it's not hard and it's yeah. not different, but there's a lot of mm-hmm. things that we just have as Americans that I think, you know, when you look at the Good Samaritan, um, they didn't have. Like this man was robbed and beaten and left yeah. for dead. Yeah. Well, what would we do if we saw someone beaten and left for dead in a ditch? We'd call the police. They can handle it. They can handle it. Right? Then we're not liable. They're yeah. not responsible. Yeah, exactly. There's better people to handle this like, than we it, can. It's, it's almost like yeah. we've given yeah. over responsibility for our fellow man to right. other people. There's, there's a video, and uh, this has been several years ago, and it was heartbreaking to watch, but it was a video of, of somebody getting stabbed multiple times, and there's a crowd of people surrounding them watching the whole thing, and nobody's doing anything. Maybe somebody was calling the police, but nobody's willing to jump in and be like, let me help that person because I'm going to get stabbed. Yeah, and and it just feels like uh, the where our culture is right now, 
it makes being a good Samaritan virtually impossible. And that kind of bothers me because we've, we've identified some of the reasons for that. There's the embarrassment of, I don't need anybody's help and I can handle this myself. Or it's mm-hmm. the, the abundance of resources, the technology that can call a tow truck or your family really quick and get them out there. It's a credit card that can give you more money than you have to spend to get out of a, a bind, you know? Um, it's, it's insurance or perhaps it's, it's, I can't pay my medical bills. You know what? I'm just going to claim something or go bankrupt and I'll be just fine. So there's several reasons for it. And it bothers me because whatever the reason, it's preventing me from being a good Samaritan. And I don't like other people telling me I can't be a good Samaritan. And so I guess my question is, I mean, are, are, we, are we only to be a good Samaritan when other people allow us to be? Wow. Like, can other do other people have the power to prevent us from following Jesus' teaching? Well, I, in I think 10? I think it's interesting, like um, how you you can see that there were like two groups of people that that were following Jesus mm-hmm. throughout his ministry, and even some of those people that were rejecting him are the people that he performed miracles for. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the challenge is really like to continue seeking out, like. Um, the inconvenience that we're talking about, like to continue just walking and being obedient. And someday somebody might accept your help and it may change their life. But I don't think we can necessarily do a one. And maybe that's the story of the first two in this story, right? Like they had helped, they had tried to help so many people that just said, no, I'm good. That they're just like, well, it's just another guy that's going to say, no, I'm good. And they keep walking by. Sure. And so they missed their opportunity. I, I don't know. That's well, probably reading and, into it a bit, but I, in I, this context. I think there's a couple things we can do. So like if you're just talking about the person on the side of the road, I think that's minimizing the sure. whole parable. Yep. Right. So there is when a need is expressed and you know there's a need, you, um, one of the other things I talked about was like personal sacrifice and sacrificing. Um, and in the Good Samaritan, I, I analogized it to, oh, here's $5,000 and I'll pay the rest. Um, there's that opportunity to be a good Samaritan and not get credit. And I think sometimes we want credit. And so there's opportunities to pay a bill or help someone yeah. in need that you know may languish in it. I, I, use, I use the analogy of like, you know, if someone asks you for $20, you know, I'm just going to think, I'm going to be cynical and think they're going to the liquor store. Yeah. Well, we could choose to do that or we can go get them a meal. Hmm. Um, I remember um, when I was younger, I was in college, um, and I got, had a guy I was mentoring and we decided we were just, we're just kind of like nuts. We had a Saturday free and we're like, we're going to go to the library and the library in the, the city we were in, um, was basically homeless everywhere. Mm. Like they were just all around there. And so we're like, okay, we're going to go to, it was Jack in the box. Cause they don't have those here, but Jack in the box, we went to Jack in the box. We got all these breakfast jacks. We got bought 20 of them and we just started handing them out to people. And the interesting thing is. Eric, to, to what you already said, some of them rejected that. Mm. Like someone said, I don't need that or I don't want that or, hey, can you get me McDonald's? And I'm like thinking, you're on the street. I'm giving you food. Like, wait, you know, and I, I didn't know how to handle that. So then we're like, okay, we'll get water. And some people rejected water. No, I want soda. I'm like, I just don't understand what's going on right here, you know? But in that situation though, we were able to hand things out because we didn't really give them a I mean, we gave him a choice, I guess, to receive it, but we already had what was right in front of us. Yeah. It's almost being prepared in that moment. Yeah. Um, also, um, I'm sure many of us have probably heard of stories where someone, you know, gets an envelope with cash in it yeah. because it's paying some bill or something like that and they have no idea who did that. Yeah. That has like 
the funnest thing to do if you if you're doing it and you don't need credit and you just mail something yeah. to someone. That's like well, exciting. That, that's <laughs> what I was gonna say too. Is like I feel like a lot of times, like the way we read this, we associate being a good Samaritan with the person on the side of the road because that's what that's our normal. Like you're I'm driving on the road. Yeah, I see somebody on the side of the you're road. Right. I think of the good Samaritan. That's it. But there's so many other yeah. uh, instances throughout life, and I'm actually uh, there. There is a story like that in my life where um, my dad was without work for. Uh, a couple of times throughout my childhood um, for long periods of time. And there was a month that uh, there was no money and somebody paid our utility bill. And like, they just uh, went to the city and paid it and they had no idea. But like that, like the impact that that had on me even now, like when I think about being generous is way bigger than than somebody helping me on the side of the road. So I, I think we also have to challenge ourselves to think of like, okay, how can I be a good Samaritan um, and just look out for the good of other people? Like, how can I see a need and meet a need without needing the spotlight? Because we don't know who that person is still mm-hmm. to this day, but they saw us and they, they met our need. And yeah. so yeah. I think that's a challenge for all of us to like, yeah, it's an inconvenience, but you're actually like that person chose inconvenience mm-hmm. to send the money, or and, and they and it required effort. It did right. The city, yeah. they paid the bill. They right. made sure it was anonymous. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. those kind of things. And I think I think what you brought up reveals another reality: of what it means to be a good Samaritan, and that is we kind of also pigeonhole the definition of being a good Samaritan to a momentary event. Yeah, where it's mm. you help somebody on the side of the road. Ten minutes later, you're done. Mm. You go pay a bill. Five minutes later, you're done, right? But what if being a good Samaritan um, is a longer term commitment and actually less subtle? I'm sorry, more subtle. And so maybe maybe being a good Samaritan for a young family is God calling them to adopt. I mean, my goodness, how inconvenient is it? Not just expense-wise, but also time-wise and paperwork and then a lifetime of raising a kid that is not biologically yours. Mm. I mean, that is a form of being a good Samaritan. Um, It's faithfully... Uh, showing up in somebody else's life on a regular basis to be that presence. And maybe that might be, you know what, instead of doing my hobby, I'm going to go to my kid's baseball game, even though they're not really that great, you know, and, but I'm going to be wait, a husband. Wait, I'm going to be a father. No, not he, Judah. Oh, not okay. Judah. Okay. Which, which kid? Cause he's awesome. Right? <laughs> uh, no. So I think, I think there's a lot of ways that you can interpret being a good Samaritan. We just have to be careful of pigeonhole it into that guy on the side of the road or that momentary obvious opportunity. Yeah. Cause I think we can also like fall prey to be like, man, I haven't been a good Samaritan because I didn't stop at the last guy on the side of the road. And, and then we become like, we almost shame ourselves and that's like almost like a, yeah, it's, it's almost worse. Like it makes it worse. Yeah. So I think, I think that's good. Well, so we we just heard about someone um, right before this, someone that prayed for someone else. And I think that's an example of a good Samaritan. If you see someone in need, whether they're being emotional in some way or you kind of see kind of a sad look on their face, asking them how things are going Mm -hmm. is a pretty easy way of being a good Samaritan as well. Um, Or we could just do the Sunday morning answer, which is someone says, how was your morning? Good. Good. Right. You know how many times I hear good on a Sunday morning? I'm uh-huh. like... I call it the fine family. The fine family. You, we're you're fine. fighting on the way to we're church. Fine. You hate each other. And then when you walk in the doors, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're great. We're fine. Yeah. yeah. So no, so I think, really. I think in some ways, um, people have to receive what uh-huh. the Good Samaritan's giving. And so like that's part of your frustration, I think. But the reality is, 
even if they reject it, mm-hmm. even if they reject it, I think we should not get discouraged in continuing to do the same. Yeah. So what is the difference between philanthropy and being a good Samaritan? Because there's a whole world out there. <laughs> Eric, are you just busting this stuff out on Church Unscripted? To <laughs> You're welcome. Deep philosophy. You philanthropy. Are welcome. Whoa, big words. It is a big word. And, uh, <laughs> start using it. More. Uh, so, so there's a whole world of people out there who not only don't believe in Jesus, but are hostile to him. And yet when they see somebody on the side of the road, they're going to use the truck that they have just like my truck and pull them out. And they're going to feel just as good about it as I do when I help them out. Right. And they might give 20 bucks to the person in need on the side of the road and feel good about it. Just like we would too. Uh, but yet they're not being driven by the Holy spirit. So is it possible that a non-believer who is not filled with the Holy spirit, uh, can they be a good Samaritan or is there something different between being a philanthropist and a good Samaritan that is in fact driven by the discernment, the presence, the power, and the authority of the Holy Spirit inside you. Uh, do you just pop out all that? That was, whoa. <laughs> you, you sometimes say things to me like, whoa, that was a deep question. All right, all right. Eric, um, one of the things that I think is important when you look at the Good Samaritan um, is there's a few things here that are incredibly different. One is the word that it says um, in Luke chapter 10, verse 33 says, he had compassion. Um, compassion is different than just paying someone's bill. It's a different emotion. Um, when Jesus is talking about um, seeing someone and he has compassion on them, he's talking about the sinners that he sees. He actually, the, the word sinner, whenever it's used, or even the, um, the lepers or the woman um, that came and touched his cloak and was healed. I mean, he's always saying he had compassion on them. And I think there's something profoundly different in your motivation. So your motivation in philanthropy is, I get a good feeling when I help this person because I can afford it. Jesus calls us to, <laughs> this is going to sound, sound absolutely like something no one would ever want to do, but he's calling us to something deeper than that. He's calling us to, to give and sacrifice because we can't afford it, but he can. And that's a huge mm. difference. And so like, if you flip that on its head, mm. um, sometimes, and I'm not saying we should give in financially until we're in the poor house or something, you know, like whatever you want to say, but, but sometimes like, philanthropy is like, this is what I have left over. It's like the guy who gave the two golden coin bags and then the widow gives the two cents. And he's like, hey, she's got these two cents and that was worth more than these two golden bags. I think sometimes it's our mentality is um, we only give um, to the point of it makes us feel good. And I don't think Jesus is just calling us to feel good. I mean, we might feel good, but sometimes it's really messy and dirty. I mean, if you look look at the Good Samaritan, I, I just wanna look here. So he does a few things. <laughs> he uh, he decides to bind up his wounds, pour him oil and wine on him, set him on his animal, and bring him to an inn and take care of him. Okay, so first off, think about that. He had to walk however many miles to this inn. He had the guy on his animal. That was a sacrifice that no one in the philanthropy world would do. You don't see people giving to you know a yeah. large organization and no, then they're like, do. hey, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve here every day of my life. Like that's that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know if Christians do that at a greater. I mean, it feels subject. Well, let me. I'm. I'm, 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 I'm saying. Mo, I'm saying motivation. Like, so if you're if you're talking philanthropy versus like a Christ follower, the motivation is completely different. I understand what you're saying. And I don't disagree with you, but I'm saying if I'm a non-believer just to play the devil's advocate for a yeah, second, yeah, yeah. I'm saying who cares about motivation? I'm going for results. I mean, 
if if I can help mm. eight people off the side of the road and you can only help one, great motivation, but I don't care. I helped eight people. It's if I have a million dollars because I'm rich uh, and I'm a philanthropist, I'm going to fly over to Africa on my own dime and I'm going to drop eight water wells in eight villages and and you and say, feel really well, good about it too. Well, absolutely. Right? But I'm, I'm saying, I mean, who cares about motivation or feelings? I'm going for results. So, so mm-hmm. in terms of like the actual impact on the world around us and people who have yeah. need, I mean, wow. what argument can I make to say that, that it's my motivation, not the results that matter more? If a philanthropist who's not a believer, who has more money than me, can actually do more yeah, to help so people I, than I Yeah, so I get can. what you're saying with results, yeah. but the reality is if Jesus is, is the one driving it and the Holy Spirit's the one actually doing the work, then I don't really want to challenge that, if that so makes sense. So you're saying that the Holy Spirit is using somebody who doesn't believe in him, is hostile to him to accomplish his own purposes. I'm not saying... That's a theological I'm not grenade. Saying, uh, I'm not saying... I'm not saying that uh, one, I'm not saying that they're saved. I'm not saying, but God does work all things out for yeah. his purposes. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes even people that are incredibly deceived by Satan do really good things. And I, it's confusing So we just, we just finished a little bit ago, the series on Nehemiah. Yeah. Yeah. I found it fascinating. At the beginning of the story of, of Nehemiah, God gave Nehemiah the vision um, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to, to help his people. That only happened because the king of the most powerful nation on the world that does not believe in God, that followed all kinds of false gods with the most resources though, not only paid for all the rebuilding material, said, here, take all the timber. I'm going to cut it down for you. Provided a letter for all of Nehemiah's protection Mm. and gave him the leave of absence from his job to go be the governor. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If it wasn't for the secular world, the federal government... Mm having an outreach program, Jerusalem would never have been rebuilt. And I'm like, okay, the motivation there was, okay, maybe the king was thinking, you know what? If I can have a rebuilt Jerusalem, I can have a stronger empire and an outpost on that side and it'd be more money in the kingdom. But maybe God's motivation was, listen, I still created you. I'm going to use you even if you don't believe in me. Well, I wonder if it was because of the obedience of Nehemiah to go out of his way to serve the king and, and to have that, bold conversation, uh, which I think you could say Nehemiah was a good Samaritan in the sense that he was going out of his way towards a mission that God had called him to while uh, gaining respect and relationship with somebody who had the power and the resources. Um, I don't know. That's just So if you have the heart to serve God, even if you don't have all the resources, God has the ability of surrounding you with the secular world and all of their resources to help accomplish his purposes through you. Yeah. I think we just solved the problem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, the, reason, the reason I say the motivation yeah. is if you go back to Nehemiah, he wept. Yeah. yeah. He prayed. Right. And then God responded. None of those resources were his. He was right. the cupbearer. He's basically the first guy that gets killed if the king, if someone wants to kill the king. Yep. Right. He, he was in a high position in that secular culture. But as far as I'm concerned, that would be the last job I would want. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something that I would right. consider as like, oh yeah, I want to be the cupbearer. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so I, I think of it in terms of what what our goal is, is to bring God's kingdom here or God's kingdom on earth, right? And so in some ways, like God's given us a lot of principles from his word, specifically even we're talking about presence here in the Good Samaritan. But the reality is like, 
even though we might feel good when we do something good, uh, the end result is really that God's brought the glory. And I think that's a huge yeah. difference. Like you're talking about the king. Yeah. Well, God still received the glory in that. Right. I mean, well, we the, read Nehemiah, God got the glory. That's I what I was going to say is I feel like philanthropy is more so building a kingdom of self. Like a lot of times when you look at uh, philanthropy and uh, the the leaders of those things, there a lot of it is like, I want the platform, like, oh, look at me, I'm giving away all this stuff. And so they're building their own kingdom. Whereas a good Samaritan and somebody who is following Jesus is building the kingdom of heaven. And so I think that's the distinct difference of like kind of where we where we find that joy in in our serving. Because I think sometimes we can even fall prey to being a, a, a philanthropist uh, for the gospel where it's like, oh, well, I... I bought that homeless guy a sandwich I feel really good about yeah, myself. Yeah. And then we yeah, talk about yeah. it to everyone, right? And it's like, well, yeah. that doesn't matter. Like you should have just like mm-hmm. given the sandwich, had a conversation, moved on with life. Yeah, um, Philanthropists but, versus Christ followers. And I, and I don't think this is a direct division, but philanthropists, you said something that just keyed in my brain. They want credit. Yeah. And a Christ follower, at least as far as I'm concerned, when I read scripture, it says God gets credit. So what it's we're saying- us. And obviously is, that's like overgeneralization. <clears throat> But like, yeah, not yeah, every make not a really a, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just so the ultimate value both together. I mean, there are Christian sure. philanthropists, right? That's, right? I'm so, just saying, like, there's so what I'm hearing to say is the ultimate value in the story of the Good Samaritan is not the motivation, it's not the feeling, it's not even the results. It's the glory that was given to God as a result of it, and that's important. And that that'll help clarify things for me because honestly, Hollywood as secular and as unchristlike as Hollywood is, has more resources and more opportunity to be philanthropic than I do in the church does as a whole. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, they might get more results in terms of the amount of philanthropy they do, mm-hmm. but they're not given an ounce of that of glory to God. Yeah. So it sounds like in the eyes of God, mm-hmm. the ultimate value of philanthropy or being a good Samaritan or servanthood or whatever it is you want to call it mm-hmm. is is how much glory is it bringing me as a, as opposed to how much yeah. glory is bringing you or anybody else? Right. Well, well, and okay. I think it's also important to recognize too that in spaces like that with money and things like that, like there are people like I have, a, I, I know someone who's out in LA uh, who's a Christian who's working on movie sets. And so like they're able to go out of their way to serve the actors to to do these things. They're, they're being a good Samaritan in their workplace by having an attitude that not everyone else has. And so then that eventually works itself up the chain. And so it's not going to be an immediate type of thing where we get all the results all at once, but it's a slow growth. Like, I feel like we have to remember that like the way of Jesus is not the way of the world. And so the growth that happens in the kingdom of God is not necessarily on a time frame that we like, but we have to be faithful in the one-off instances as we go through life. And over time, that'll become great. Yeah. And in that scenario you just said, I mean, it it might be a very few number of people who actually see his attitude, but God sees it all and will be glorified because of that. And that that makes the whole world of difference. Yeah. And, And really, I mean, we've been asking the question this whole time as we've been talking, whose kingdom are you building? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's really the question that we're answering. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. So when we wrap, as we wrapped up this series of vision in month of August, 
the, the theme was a body in motion will stay in motion. Yeah. And in our context, it's the body of Christ will stay in motion, yeah. right? The fuel, the motivation to be in motion, of course, is Jesus and the Great Commission. Um, but the question I'm asking on the other side of this is, all right, what are some of the results going to mm. be of this? What does it look like when Brookside, as the body of Christ, moves into the community with the gospel to impact people in that world? And, and I love this conversation because it sounds like when we're present with the community, mm-hmm. um, we serve them regardless of how small or large, yeah. pronounced or subtle the actual event is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of the day, God gets glory. Yeah. So it feels like that kind of closes the loop. It mm-hmm. begins with motivation of Jesus yep. that leads us into action, touches other people, yep. and God gets the glory because of that. Yeah. And so if we're going to be a church that's sent, what we ought to be looking for is not how many people we helped off the side of the road. Yep. It's, um, did I give God the glory for this? Well, yeah. And, and regarding that, I think some of us think in terms of numbers, right? We think yeah. in terms yep. of like, I want to count the seven people I helped yesterday or, sure. you know, whatever. Yep. Um, but I think God doesn't look at it as much that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might <laughs> give us seven people to help. Yeah. But the reality is it's, it's more obedience to what you just yeah. described. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if we stay obedient to that, yeah. that's what he's looking for. Yeah. And I think a, as a church body, that looks very different. That's not always on a Sunday morning. That's sure. many times not on a Sunday morning. Right. Right. And that obedience comes at the workplace or that yeah. comes in your home or that comes in the moment. Yep. You know, I, I shared on Sunday, I was like, I feel like Satan really knew I was going to preach on this because the day before my kids were just really chaotic and our home was not at peace. And so what does that look like when we are at peace and we're yeah. striving yeah. for that and mm-hmm. seeking that? So Eric, let me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think that's the end, the, uh, not the end goal. Um, that's not a way of putting it. Do you think that, that that's the place we need to be? Like in a in the presence of Jesus, like in the end, you you talk through motivation. You talk about okay, this is the actions, this is the results, and here's where we're at: giving God the glory. Is that what Jesus-centered presence is? Is giving God the glory and letting Him use you? So the presence of Jesus dictates all of it. It's it's what it's all about. Because if you're in the presence of Jesus then he motivates you to do what he did. I mean, he talks about that in the gospels. You're going to do what I just did. So you have to be in his presence, but it also directs your motivation. This is not for my glory, for my, my even my own good feeling. It's for God's glory. So the more you are in the presence of God, the more holy and the more accurate your actions and behavior towards other people are gospel and Jesus-centered. Uh, the more you're away from Jesus, the more they become self-centered. And so that, that, I mean, it's, it's everything. And so that's why this next year, the theme is presence. Yeah. And we're going to talk about what it means to be in the presence of God, what it means for the Holy Spirit to live his presence in you, to be mm-hmm. present with each other. And I think that's going to have a lot of impact in the way that we live in the world around us. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. absolutely. Good conversation, guys. What else we need to talk about today? I'm, I'm curious. I have a question for John. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so you had to take an, a, a I'm large, waiting for section, this. You're a large, <laughs> a large section of scripture yeah. and pare it down to 20 minutes. Was there, <laughs> was there anything that you were like, I wanted to say that, but you didn't because you didn't have time on Sunday? Um, <laughs> there was another 7,000 words. Well, I know. <laughs> that's what I, I'm just, no. curi- I'm curious no. if there's like one thing. I, that you were I like, think as I was, as I was cutting and taking things out, um, I didn't talk a lot about 
the art of elimination. Yeah. And so that was something that I left out. But um, if you notice um, with, with Mary Martha and with the Good Samaritan, um, they kind of eliminated barriers mm. in their life. And I talked about that kind of at the end of the sermon, but yeah. um, the reality of it is I, I, read, I read Mary and Martha and Martha in verse 40 says, she was distracted with much serving. Mm. And that was a barrier for her because yeah. the word distracted is there. And I think sometimes we don't eliminate barriers to connection with other people. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about Eric, you're talking about presence. Jesus-centered presence is about being present with others. Yeah. You know, I mentioned a couple of things like a phone out on a table or yeah. things like that. Like how do we find ways to actively connect with others? Yeah. Um, so we need to eliminate barriers um, that we may see. Mm -hmm. um, I thought of other barriers, like here's a barrier, like thinking, oh, I need to go to this next thing. Um, well, in that moment, I'm thinking I need to go to this next thing, but the reality is I'm not watching what's around me because I've already focused on the next thing, right. the next task. The or calendar is driving us. The calendar is yeah. driving us. And so, um, yeah, the, uh, there's so many books on this. Like um, yeah. I'm thinking of, um, oh gosh, uh, the Ruthless Elimination, elimination of Hurry. hurry. Yeah. yeah. Ruthless yeah, Elimination of Hurry is yeah. one of yep. my favorite books. Um, I think of the fact that um, both in Mary, Martha, and Good Samaritan, it seems like Jesus slowed everyone down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think humans are made to be at the speed that we live at. I, I genuinely don't think that that's the way of Jesus. I think the way of Jesus is much slower. Yeah. Um, I think uh, sometimes that's probably why we struggle. And um, in terms of American terms of productivity, let's say, um, we could be a lot more productive the slower we do things yeah. um, and more impact. Yeah. I learned, uh, I recently heard that, um, you know, we average, our American culture, we average about six or seven hours of sleep a night. What you're supposed to get is about nine, eight or nine. Yep. Um, they said prior to the invention of the light bulb, yep. People would sleep on average 11 hours a night. Yep. And they didn't have a choice. I mean, if there's no light, you can't do anything, right? You can't even read unless you have a fire. And so it's, so it's you. Uh, are we getting rid of our light bulbs? <laughs> you go ahead and do that, man. I'm going to keep mine. I'm going to live on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. It's it's yeah. sometimes you get so busy in, in the schedule, which is the schedule is not bad. And the things that are in the schedule are not always bad. You've got to get mm -hmm. to doctor's appointments. Yep. You've got to go to classes. You've got to go to your kids' sports events. Yep. Um, so it's it's not necessarily have a smaller schedule. There's just seasons of life that you have to have a busy schedule. Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of what you talked about. It's still being aware of those holy interruptions right. in the midst of your schedule. Yeah. So you're not just there watching your kid play baseball. You're sitting next to somebody who say, yeah. that you say, man, you, you kind of look like you're having a hard time. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Um, well, and, and thinking every moment's like that. So going back to what you just said though, it's a season. And sometimes our seasons are not seasons. They're just like the way we're living permanently. Sure, right. And I think that's yeah. a struggle too. Yeah. You uh, mentioned this book, <laughs> The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, and it's interesting. One of the things that I have underlined, I was kind of flipping through it. Um, but uh, he, t he talks about how our, our thinking actually dictates uh, how we serve the Lord. And he says, we should reject any thoughts that distract us from serving the Lord or uh, that undermine our salvation. But uh, I think that um, it's That's the art of elimination, really. Right, that's what I was saying. Like when you said that, it reminded me of this quote because I think a lot of times we miss out, we miss out on being with people because we have thoughts in our minds yeah. that are distracting us from being present. And so like uh, just mm -hmm. practically like 
like how can we eliminate some of those thoughts um, in our in our in our busyness so that we can be mm-hmm. inconvenienced? Can be- can we fast from phones, social media, things like that? Because I'll tell you something. I I studied this in college a lot, but basically we have instant gratification culture. Yeah. And because we have an instant gratification culture, I can pull up my phone and I can look at Netflix and I can do whatever yeah. I want. I can pull up the internet. Um, and we become addicted to the uh, mm-hmm. chemical release, which is completely normal, a dopamine hit or this or that. Yep. And we lose sight of the fact that there's a physical human being in front of us made in the image of God, that their personhood matters yeah. mm-hmm. and they matter to God and they should matter to us. Yep. And I think that's... So much deeper. deeper. I'm getting get emotional just thinking about it. The fact that we miss that moment where someone maybe is in great distress or need just because we want to look at Instagram or we want to look at something Mm -hmm. else and we miss it. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think that's really hard. I think that the distraction is all the time. I mean, there's advertising, there's all kinds of things. So that may sound defeatist. I don't want to end on this note. So here's here's kind of what I would say to that (laughs) is experiment a little bit. Mm. Um, Experiment by saying, we're not going to do this in our house or we're not going to do this in our space. Um, and just try something. Like maybe for a week, just say, hey, you know, after 6 p.m., we're not going to be on the phone. Yep. Like we're just going to put our phones that, down. That would be a tough experiment. For exactly, some exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's maybe it's I'm just going to have my phone down for an hour. Or when we're at the dinner table, we're going to have no phones. Yep. Um, or it might I it could look different in different ways. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. just hey, I'm going to spend ten minutes a day, and I'm going to focus on getting all those thoughts that are distracting me. I'm just going to write all of them down, and I'm just going to leave them there, and I'm going to pass them out of my my. I had, and I'm just going to focus on the rest of the day. Yeah. And those things that are distracting, whatever yeah, that's it is. Good idea. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, we, we've given people a lot to think about and uh, hopefully um, some, well, I don't know what they call, but hopefully things to make them think hard. So yeah, think hard. <laughs> we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go with that. But I think it was a really good encouragement, guys, to, uh, to lay out the opportunity to be more present, starting with our family. Yeah. I'm sorry, starting with Jesus and then our family and then the people around us. And there's some very practical things we can do yeah. uh, to facilitate that. So thank you for the great conversation. And thank you for joining us again on Church Unscripted. We love having these conversations with you. We also love hearing your comments. And so there's a space on your YouTube channel where you can leave a comment. And if you have a question, please leave that there as well. And uh, if it's appropriate, we would love to answer that in some way. So again, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Uh, like and share this with your friends and then hit that notification bell so that uh, whenever these are uploaded, you will be the first to know about it. So thanks again for being with us. We will see you next week on Church Unscripted.